Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Leaders. I'm Sam North. Inspiration is one of the best ways to transform. Conversations with Leaders is a bi-weekly interview with key industry players, CEOs, financial authors, and professional money managers worldwide. Get valuable insights from the people who've seen it all. Are you ready? Here we go. This podcast is for information and education purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice, a personal recommendation or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material has been prepared without taking into account any particular recipient's investment objectives or financial situation and has not been prepared in accordance with the legal and regulatory requirements to promote independent research. Past performance is not an indication of future results. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Conversations with Leaders. My name is Sam North, a market analyst at eToro, and I'm happy to be your host today. In a world where retail investors are more prominent than ever, it is becoming more and more important that top quality education is produced, whether that be on breaking down the stock market in easy formats or understanding how to value businesses before investing in them. I'm pleased to say we are joined by Brian Feroldi, who is a master of both and much, much more. Brian is a financial educator, YouTuber, and author with a remarkable journey in the world of personal finance and investing. Brian's mission is clear to demystify the stock market and help others succeed in their investments. With thousands of articles written for The Motley Fool on stocks, investing, and personal finance, he's a trusted source of financial insights. Back in 2022, Brian offered the best-selling book, Why Does the Stock Market Go Up? Simplifying Stock Market Concepts in Plain English. We're privileged to tap into his wisdom and experience in the world of finance. Welcome to the show, Brian. How are you? Thank you, Sam. It's great to be here. Thank you for the warm introduction. Well, it's great to have you on. Uh, Brian, before we, we get into a few other subjects, uh, I wanted to to know how you got into investing on your website, um, which people can find in the bio uh, of this episode. It says he had no idea what he was doing and got his teeth kicked in. So how did it all start? How did you get into investing? And I hope you literally didn't get your teeth kicked in. I was going to say it's metaphorically accurate uh, <laughs> as, to, as to what happened. Um, like many people, uh, I was taught nothing about investing or the stock market uh, growing, uh, growing up. Uh, my dad uh, had made some investments in, in the stock market, but he, he was not picking high quality stocks. Uh, he was picking penny stocks that he heard about from his broker. He was putting money into them and he was hoping and praying that they would go uh, up, up, up in price. I, I don't think he had a, a strong thesis uh, for any of the stocks uh, that he owned. So I was aware that he owned these things called stocks. And I was under the impression that you bought stocks for a, a dollar and then you sold them for a dollar 20. And that's how you made money uh, in, in the stock market. 
Now, when I graduated from college in 2004, I had no idea uh, how to invest or what the stock market was, uh, but I did. I was given a copy of a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, and that book was the very first book that I ever read that had anything to do with uh, investing. And many of the principles, the core principles that that book laid out, uh, everybody can be can become wealthy. The rich think differently about money, buy assets, avoid liabilities. Those core principles, uh, that was the first time that I, that I heard about them. And I, I was just naturally attracted to everything uh, from that point on related to money, uh, finance, uh, and investing. Uh, I first started out by taking a look at real estate as an asset class. I quickly learned that that was not the asset class that appealed to me, uh, in part because it requires a lot of capital uh, to get into, and I did not have a lot of capital at the time. The stock market was something that fit my personality uh, better, and it had very low capital requirements. So I first started investing investing in the stock market. And my first exposure was mimicking essentially what my father did, which was buying penny stocks and hoping to sell them or flip them later at a, at a higher price. And uh, as, as I said, uh, as you warmed up, uh, said in the intro, uh, that went horribly wrong. <laughs> so before we get into some of the success that you have now had, let's discuss some of those mistakes then made along the way. And, and what in particular sticks out from you, from your journey? And, and how have you sort of learned from that to where you are now? Uh, so I've made, I mean, I've been investing in the stock market for almost 20 years now, um, and I knew absolutely nothing about the stock market when I first started. So if you can name an investing mistake, the odds are good <laughs> that I have personally made it and I have paid stupid tax uh, to learn that uh, um, a mistake. Um, one of the bigger mistakes that, that I make and I see people making all the time is they confuse the stock and the business. Yeah. Uh, it's natural to think, oh, the stock is going up, therefore the business must be great, or oh, the stock is going down, therefore the business must be doing uh, poorly, or I'm, I'm wrong. It's a really hard thing to understand internally that the stock and the business are linked to each other, but that link is extremely loose, and you have to think about it almost like it's on a spring. They can become, those two numbers, uh, those two things can become detached from each other for extended periods of time. And you as the investor have to have to focus on what is happening with the business, uh, even though that is a slow moving, boring thing. Uh, and the stock price is constantly uh, in, in your face and news and analysis goes into heavily into what the stock price uh, is, is doing. But if you focus on just the stock price, which is something that is natural and what a lot of investors uh, do, you're going to get the wrong signal uh, from, from, um, from the market. Uh, so I have personally uh, looked at the stock price and only the stock price to make buy and sell uh, decisions. Many of those uh, turned out uh, badly. I have used leverage. Uh, options uh, to 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 try and predict uh, to make money on stock prices that worked out uh, badly. But I will tell you, the biggest and most expensive mistake I've ever made by far is this: I bought great companies and I sold them way too early. Yes. And the lost wealth that I had from not holding on to those future mega winners dwarfs. All of the dollars that I've lost from buying losers and holding them too long combined. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point, isn't it? Because even if you look at, and, and I'm sure you've been part of these stocks along the way, like your Apples, your Amazons, they've had periods of 
you know, significant drawdown over the years, haven't they? You know, periods where the beginning of the millennium and I think Amazon or Apple went down 90% at one moment. So you've got to have that that long-term vision, that patience. I mean, would you say when we talk about the attributes of a consistently profitable investor, that patience is is right up there? It's a requirement. Uh, the, the, the stock market uh, is it re- requires requires a multi-year hold, hold, holding period. Um, and it's very natural. It's very natural to look at the stock market and judge what it's doing over the wrong time period. And for the, for the stock market, uh, there can be periods, there can be years, years when the stock market goes down or gives you essentially no return. And if you're judging it over that time horizon, you're going to conclude that the stock market is broken, that there's something wrong with it, that it's rigged, that it's only for the rich, or fill in the blank narrative that you have about it. When you judge the stock market over the appropriate time period, which is measured in decades, the stock market is a reliable wealth creation machine. Uh, my favorite statistic about the S&P, S&P 500 is that if you bought and held for a 20-year period, you have made money 100% of the time in real terms. And by in real terms, that means after adjusting for, the, uh, for inflation. You make money 100% of the time. That's what I mean by a reliable wealth creation machine. But the shorter your time period, the higher your odds that you will not make money is, which is why you need to judge the asset class in the appropriate time period. Yeah, it's, it's a great stat. And and when you go to like a day, obviously that percentage goes way down. And there's a great saying, isn't there, that time in the market beats timing the market. And you know, are, are you yourself, are you a fan of the the sort of the dollar cost averaging approach, or do you like to try and time the market as well? How do you sort of play it? Absolutely. Uh, I'm a big fan of dollar cost averaging. I have uh, all my retirement funds are set up to just simply dollar cost average into index funds. That's a decision you make once and you never have to think about uh, again, and you don't have to pay attention to the market movements um, at all. So that's what I do with my retirement funds. Now, with my um, taxable uh, capital that I deploy strategically into individual stocks, I don't try and time the market, but I do try to time my entry points into mm-hmm. businesses based on val- based on their val- valuation. The more attractive the valuation, the faster I will act. The less attractive the valuation, uh, the slower uh, that I will act. So it's kind of a hybrid approach where retirement accounts, all dollar cost averaging, they are agnostic to what the market is doing recently. When I'm deploying capital into individual businesses, I try and, and I try and time, and I put that in air quotes, uh, the valuation that I'm paying. Amazing. We'll come on to uh, valuating companies uh, shortly. You've, you've written over 3,000 articles and, and more, uh, and of course, the best-selling book, Why Does the Stock Market Go Up? What made you, you write this book, and, and how did your own personal experience help with the writing? So despite the fact that I have written thousands thousands of articles and a book, uh, I never fancied myself to be a, a writer. Uh, and I put that in quotes. Uh, when I was uh, growing up, English was my least favorite class. <laughs> Writing was my least uh, favorite class. I did average on the uh, the SATs uh, in America. My mind is built for mathematics and engineering. That's a category uh, that I yes. like. So it was farcical to me if you were to tell me when I was graduating from high school, you're going to write a book one day and write thousands of articles. I'd been like, nope, you got the wrong guy uh, for, for that. 
Um, the reason that I wrote a book wasn't because I thought there should be another book about investing. There's there's dozens, if not hundreds, of wonderful books that have been written over the years about uh, investing and how to invest in the stock market. I've read many of them uh, myself. The reason I wrote a book is because whenever I read a book about investing, it always had the same thing. Dollar cost average into the S&P 500. The S&P 500 returns about 10% uh, per year, and the market will always recover from, from crashes. That was the, those are the themes that were uh, imprinted into every investment book that I read. While that, those themes, I think, are absolutely correct, what was never explained to me when I was reading those books was the why behind that happening. Mm. It never made sense to me why the stock market returned 10% per year. It never made sense to me why the stock market should always recover uh, from, from, from downturns. It was just never explained. And for years, I kind of wondered, why wasn't there a book out there that just explained in simple terms the, how, what the stock market is, why it continually goes up, why it recovers from crashes, and why investors should, should know that that can continue to happen indefinitely. And after waiting for years, I talked to a couple of my friends about it, and they were like, well, maybe you're the one that's supposed to write the book about this. So during COVID, I kind of threw up my hands and said, all right, let's do this. I'll actually go through the painful process. And yes, it is a very painful process uh, if you don't like writing like I do uh, to write a book. But that's why the book exists. It wasn't because I thought I, the world needs another investing book. It's because I never saw a book approach that topic from the angle that answered my own curiosity questions. Love it. Well, I guess that's the silver lining of COVID. And I'm just going to read one of the reviews. A simple, no-nonsense and practical guide to understanding the greatest wealth creation machine of all time. Uh, and that's, of course, from the author of The Psychology of Money, Morgan Housel, which is a, a great book as well, actually. So, I mean, that's high praise. You must be happy with that one. Yeah, absolutely. I intentionally designed it to be as easy to read as as possible. It's written at a fifth grade reading level and, and below. I, I personally do not like dense books. I personally yeah. do not like long chapters. I personally do not like long paragraphs. So the book was written to be extremely short, multiple chapters that are extremely short with simple language so that you can give it to a teenager and they can enjoy it. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And, and I, I think a lot of what is discussed uh, by yourself from just having a look at your Twitter, your LinkedIn, which are fantastic as well, is, is super important for people that are in school to understand as they go through college. It's, it's things that need to be taught, uh, certainly in this country. Uh, anyway, uh, speaking of your LinkedIn, um, I saw a really good post that you did recently uh, talking about 10 investing rules of thumb. And it starts off with the rule of, of 72. And I, I do urge people to check this out. And I'll put in the bio, the links to uh, a few of these, including the book, but also this LinkedIn post. So first up, can you sort of explain the rule of 72 and how it can be useful for investors? And then the second part of the question, you know, I'm keen to know of these 10 rules, is there one in particular that you like more than the others? Sure. Generally speaking, I'm a huge fan of, of rule of thumbs. I love short heuristics that help to solve complex uh, equations or complex problems with very simple equations. Now, 
when you're solving a complex problem as simply as possible, there's of course going to be exceptions and asterisk that needs to go into any uh, rule. But one of my favorites is, as you pointed out, the rule of 72. Uh, this rule of thumb just tells you how many, how much time in years it would take you to double your investment at a given <clears throat> interest rate. So you take 72 and you divide by the interest rate at which you expect to compound your money, and that will tell you roughly in years how long it will take to double. For example, if you expect to compound your money at a 10% mm -hmm. annualized rate of return, which is what the S&P 500 has done over the last 200 years, 72 divided by 10 equals 7.2. So on average, you could expect your, the, the value of your investment in the S&P 500 to double every 7.2 years. Now, that's, of course, if you get a perfect 10% annualized return uh, over that time period. Uh, the S&P 500 does not deliver a perfect 10% return uh, over short, shorter time periods, which would be less than, uh, less than seven years. Uh, however, it's a good shorthand for figuring out how many times can my capital double if I invest in this asset class for this period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And then just sort of going through that, I mean, you've got the rule of 114, the rule of 144, which uh, uh, the time it takes for your money to triple and quadruple and that that period of, you know, years actually goes lower like mathematically as you go up. And it's an important point, I think, for people to understand when you speak to newer investors, people that are new to the market, and you tell them you could get 10% a year. Some people turn their nose up at that. They think, well, hang on, I want to be getting in the penny stock that goes to the moon and makes me all this money. But with the power of compounding and how 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, the money you can make is, is crazy just with that 10% return. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's a very important one. I also quite like the 15% um, the, the rule set aside at least 15% of your salary for retirement. And that's quite a cool one. But I mean, I, I suppose with these, people can adjust them as well to suit their, their current situation, can't they? Absolutely. Again, they're just rules of thumbs. They're good starting points. They're benchmarks uh, for you to look at uh, for yourself. Yeah, as you point out, uh, the 15% rule of thumb just says set aside at least 15% of your income uh, for, for retirement every year. Obviously, that is going to depend if your income is low. Setting aside 15% yeah. for retirement is very difficult. If you have a very high income, setting aside 15% is very easy by comparison. So they're all rules of thumb. They're just that. They're starting points. Yeah. Yeah, let's um, move on then to, to valuing a business. A lot of, I would say, newer investors really struggle with this. And, and many investors just never go down the route of learning about it because they feel it's incredibly hard and you need to have studied economics uh, at a top university to be able to do it. You've created a course uh, explaining this in a pretty simple way, right? I mean, can you tell us a little bit about it? What will people gain from doing the course? And again, the reason why you decided to do it. Yes, if you're going to invest in individual companies, an incredibly important skill for you to master is learning how companies are valued. And if you look at the academic research on this, the typical standard answer for how to value a business is something called a discounted cash flow analysis or discounted cash flow mm -hmm. calculator, which is using this tool, you basically forecast out the cash flow that a company is going to generate over its lifetime. You discount those future cash flows by some rate, and that prevents and that presents you with the quote unquote fair value of that investment today. 
A lot of people love discounted cash flow uh, calculators, and they swear that's the only way that you can uh, value a business, or at least it's the ultimate way that you can value a business. Uh, I actually think there's many different ways to, to value a business. And one thing that I didn't understand about investing when I first started was that companies go through different phases during their life uh, as, mm. as a business. Uh, broadly speaking, companies that make it to the public markets start out as just an idea in the startup phase, then they quickly go into the scaling up phase when they're hiring like crazy. And companies in that stage are typically losing money because they're spending so much on growth that their revenue can't cover uh, their costs. Eventually, they reach the break-even point, which is a really big deal where the company is no longer uh, losing money, no longer depending on outside financing. From there, it scales up to the operating leverage phase. And finally, it gets into the shareholder return phase where it's returning its profits that it's generating reliably to shareholders. After that, there's the decline phase when you know capitalism assures that every business will eventually go to zero. It could take <laughs> decades or even centuries for it to get there, but that is almost guaranteed uh, to happen at some point. The thing that's tricky about valuation is that it, when depending on which stage a company is currently in, different valuation methods are more optimal uh, than others. For example, if a company is in the startup phase and it doesn't have any product or it doesn't yeah. have any revenue, using a discounted cash flow analysis on that would be folly because you're making so many assumptions about the future revenue, the future profits uh, of a business and trying to discount that is you're making so many assumptions that you could have the model essentially say whatever you want it to say based on the assumptions uh, that you put in. When a company is in the research and development or a, a startup phase, I think you have to just look at the market, do something called total addressable market or TAM analysis. And from there, make some very simple assumptions about revenue, market share, margins, and that gives you an estimate of how big the company could be uh, one day. Now, as a company progresses over, over time, the optimal valuation method that you should use uh, does change. As it grows, you can start to introduce multiples uh, into, the, into the picture. Uh, once it becomes uh, self-funding, you can do an analysis called earnings power analysis. Mm. And I really think discounted cash flow analysis is most optimal when a company is in the capital return phase. When it's big, producing profits, cash flow, paying a dividend, returning capital via buybacks, that's when discounted kind of cash flow analysis is most useful but you can get to trouble if you use the right if the wrong valuation method at the wrong time yeah fantastic and i'll put a link again into uh into the bio for the for the course um and and you would say is is it aimed at at, at uh, a sort of beginners that want to to learn how to do that is is that the standard that um you you sort of set for it yeah, we, we aim our courses. Uh, uh, the company I, I, I co-founded has a, uh, a number of cohort-based courses that we have that teach people how to read financial statements uh, and how to val value businesses. They are primarily aimed at beginner and intermediate investors, uh, uh, investors that are interested uh, in this subject and have some underlying understanding, but want to learn in a more rigorous and formalized uh, manner. That's who we primarily target, but we certainly have had entrepreneurs uh, join yeah. there. We've had hedge fund, people that work at hedge funds join there. We've had banking analysts uh, join there, but it's, it's specifically targeted at beginner and intermediate investors. Amazing. Amazing. Just on, on, on sort of your own personal investing when, when looking at stocks, would you ever be influenced by just one 
earnings report, one quarterly earnings report, like let's just say it didn't come in line with, say, the expectations and the market moved a little bit lower. Would you ever go, you know what, I, I need to get out of this stock? Or would you always look at things that say over a year, like to, to actually, let you know what, I'm going to take a step back. I'm not going to panic. Uh, how would you sort of go about it? The only time that I would make a snap decision based on a single earnings report is if that earnings report was also accompanied with fraud. Like if the company like was like proven to be uh, under investigation uh, for 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 something like that, and it was running afoul with the SEC, uh, that to me would be the only red flag that I would see that would be like, yes, I'm out. This business is clearly uh, un- un- uninvestable. I-, I was wrong. When it comes to just run of the mill earnings reports, here's how much revenue we did. Here's how much profit we generated. Here's how much what our margins looked like. Any given quarterly earnings report is just measuring ninety days. Yeah. 90 days. Can you really get a, 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 a that detailed of a look? Or would it be thesis changing for a company to report something over a 90-day uh, period? Uh, I think the answer there is, is no. Generally speaking, companies report in 90-day increments just because they're required to by the uh, by the exchanges uh, that, that they list on. In fact, I think it was it was Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger that had this great quote about about the time period. It says the only thing significant about businesses reporting in a year is that the sun, the Earth has gone around the sun once. I can't think of any other reason that the one year is such a significant time period. But we, we as investors use it as a rough proxy for when a company should be making progress versus, versus other time periods. But that's not how business works. Uh, yeah. Customers don't care that it's been a year, right? Customers care that you get the product or the service right. In some cases, that could be seven months of work. In other cases, that could be 50 uh, months of work. So to me, judging a company's results or overly relying on a company's results over on a quarter basis doesn't make a lot of sense. I think the, the way to invest successfully, or at least the way that I invest, is to zoom out and look at things over a longer term time horizon. Multi-years is, is more optimal. Now, you don't always get multi-year looks, especially from mm-hmm. companies that are coming public or have come yeah. public in the last couple of, uh, of years. But to me, longer term trends matter so much more than the most recent quarterly report. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. If in doubt, zoom out. Uh, To finish up today, I wanted to talk to you about what traits you like in stocks when looking at investing in them, especially if you're looking to hold for that longer term. So so how do you go about it? What, what, What key things always stick out to you? Uh, so I have a checklist that I have developed for myself over the last 20 years, and I, I've used, I've created it by observing other investors' checklists, uh, what kind of traits and businesses I a- admire, what mistakes I've made in the past, and more. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you're an, you're an investor, I highly recommend you do this process. Step one, make a list of every attribute that a business has that would make it appealing to you. So if a business had this attribute, it would be a positive. For me, I love investing in founder-led companies. I love investing in hot companies that are growing quickly. I love investing in companies that are profitable. I love investing in companies that are having wide moat. I love investing in companies with recurring revenue, a diversified customer base, expanding opportunities. And I love investing in companies whose stocks have already beaten the market. Now, my list is bigger than that, but I made a big list. These are all the positive things that I look for. Mm -hmm. Then once done with that, make a second list. All the things that you don't want to see in an investment. If a business had these attributes, you you would not be happy. For me, that are things like customer concentration. I don't like it when a company gets an outsized portion of its revenue from a single customer. 
Mm. I don't like it when a company has high stock base compensation. Uh, that to me dilutes investors over time and reduces my uh, returns. I don't like it when a company has geopolitical uh, risks. I would much rather the company operate in the United States than an emerging market uh, yeah. such as, uh, such as uh, China. I don't like it when the financial statements are complex to understand or the business model is complex. If I'm reading through something and I don't understand it in the first pass, I don't like that. I'll just pass on to the next idea. So I have a list of positive ideas and I have a list of negative ideas. The next step, rank them by order. What is the most important attribute to you and go downward? Do the exact same thing on the negative side. Here's the final step. Weigh each of those attributes by some sort of mul multiplier. So let's say recurring revenue is the most important thing you mm -hmm. desire. Give that a 10 yeah. weighting uh, in your mind. And let's say a founder-led business is the next one. Give that a nine rating, et cetera. Then that's exactly what I've did when I've created my checklist. So when I come across any business, I can now take it through my checklist and at the outside of going, after going through this process, I get a score and that numerical number tells me how strong of a match that particular investment is for my investing style. Emphasis on my investing style. It doesn't mean it's a perfect business for you or anybody else. It's just a match for me. But going through that process hundreds of times with a hundred different companies has helped me to create a list of companies that I am most attracted to and quickly dispel companies that I am not uh, attracted to. So I think that that simple process that I just described works well no matter what type of investor you are. I have to say, I am so motivated now to go and work on my own process here. And I think a lot of people listening to this will, will do so as well. And what I would say, if you're listening to this or watching this, and you're on Twitter, make sure, I mean, you probably already do, but make sure you follow uh, Brian, his, his Twitter at Brian Baroldi, incredible threads daily as well that I reckon a lot of people will take a lot of information from. Uh, Brian, it's been a pleasure to, to have you on. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you, Sam, so much for having me. And if any of your listeners are interested, I do uh, offer the ability to download the checklist that I made uh, for free. It's just brianferoldi.com backslash checklist, and you can download a free copy of the one that I use. Amazing. And, and uh, yeah, please do make sure to check out the bio. I'll put a lot of links in there as well if you're watching on YouTube or if you're on the podcast as well. Take care, everyone, and I'll speak to you shortly. You have been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, use eToro.com.